At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. If you can't get enough of the Mixing Music Podcast and want three times the amount of episodes every week, subscribe to our exclusive content for only $4 a month or $40 a year at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is... Lou. <laughs> We're slowly just giving up on the nicknames. Oh my god. Pot of Greed Lou. Oh, that's not even an L. That's not even any sort of alliteration at uh, all. I mean, you could say, la 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 loving you, Lou. Is it called alliteration when it's like a... I think that's what it is. I'm not. I'm mistaken. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we can say my name is Gary and just call me Gary the Giraffe. Yeah, my co-host Gary the Giraffe. <laughs> we just go totally different. It's totally. Like, wait, what happened to Lou? Like all the podcast <laughs> listeners, not YouTube, just podcast listeners, are like, wait a minute. That's, I'm not gonna Who's lie. Gary? That's my favorite. That's my favorite nickname to date. Just like totally scratch the Lou thing and does who the hell is Gary giraffe. and then just giraffe. It's like a two G's, but they're not even the same sound. <laughs> Gary <laughs> the gargoyle. Okay, that's two two hard G's, but Ga- Gary the giraffe. That's that killed me. All right, uh, we're <laughs> and today uh, we have a special guest. Thank you for joining us on the show. Um, he is a mixer. He is a vocal production. Um, vocal producer, he is a recording engineer all the way from Washington. Sendai Thanks for having me on, guys. Yee, you're from Washington, right? Not Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Washington, Seattle, Seattle. Okay, that's right. Cause I, I don't know what it is. I'm an idiot and I always Oregon, Washington to me are just interchangeable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's it's everything's so spread out. If you're never up here, it's it's just you know it's just a bunch of trees basically. It's it's nice though. <laughs> I would love to go to Washington. Is Washington the state where there's no sales tax? That's Oregon. That is. Oh, oh. shit! I'm not gonna yeah. lie, but uh, that sounds enticing. Wait, 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 wait. That sounds is, really enticing. Is keep keep Oregon weird? Is that Oregon or is that keep Seattle That's weird? Portland. That's Portland. That's keep Portland weird. Wait, Portland right. is Oregon. Yep, yep, yep. What the heck? What? Okay, hold on. Washington has the big uh, sky, sky tower, the Space Tokyo needle. Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it called? Space Needle. It's the Space Needle. 
Just, not Tokyo Tower. <laughs> I don't know where DK's head is today, but it's physically here. <laughs> um, but welcome. Thank you so much, Mike, uh, for joining the podcast and for engaging in our stupid banter. <laughs> <laughs> we don't mean to downplay it, but uh, yeah. Um, but Mike, I, we love you and you're a wonderful um, vocal producer, engineer, and uh, I know you make a lot of content. You have may have heard of uh, Mike from Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Um, he's posting content all the time. I think you're, uh, you, you're really grinding TikTok recently. Oh, I'm trying to just get a couple videos out a week, man. I mean, it's not, it's not the everyday thing like it should be, but you know, just getting a couple out a week is, is, is where I'm at right now. But yeah, I think like with content, the grind is just consistency. I feel like making the content itself isn't that hard. It's more about like the ideation yeah. of what to talk about and like doing the tedious work of just posting it. It, it doesn't yep, actually yep. take that much effort, I feel like. I feel right, like right. the, I think the ideation is the part of the effort that it takes. You know yep. what I mean? Like, because uh, I'll be honest, like I sit in my office, and I'm like, I should make a video. There's a million things I can talk about, but I can't think of one. Right, right. I can't think of one. Yeah. Also, but, yeah. Also, if you're listening to the podcast right now and you are wondering what the heck me and Lou look like, or maybe what the heck Sendai Mike looks like, we stream the podcast recordings every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or you should subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, one of our most recent reviews on Apple. They left a five-star review and they said how awesome the podcast is and then made a comment about how much DK did not look like what D I thought DK would look like, but Lou looks exactly like what I thought Lou would look like. And, and he said good on that. And I was like... <laughs> what does that, that mean? Thank you? Is that a compliment? <laughs> like, you look exactly what you sound like. It's like, I hope it's handsome. <laughs> I really hope it's handsome. <laughs> My mom says I'm handsome. <laughs> oh man, this is a good episode already. Um, but today we're we're very blessed to have Mike join us on the podcast, and we're gonna together, all three of us, we're gonna talk about um, the whole recording process from contact to sending them the file, completing that, um, and maybe even like follow ups and going beyond that. Um, but. Yep. Mike is recording artists every single day. He's got a great booking system, and he's quite busy. Uh, and Mike, I know that you got some systems going on, and I know that you, like, this is at this point, it's kind of like a, a job for you. It's a gig. It's yep, pretty yep, like, yep, yep. like it's regular. You don't have to do too much. Day, yeah. yeah, like kind of clock in, clock out, which is which is a great place to be. I wish everybody was like getting paid clients every day, just clocking in, clocking out. But um, so I mean, you've got to figure it out. What? Where does the process start for you for new or maybe even existing clients, wherever you want to start? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's important, like, I guess j just be, be, even like before we jump into the actual, like what, what it is about the recording, like the, the thing that I'm doing specifically is vocals over in the box production. And that, uh, I guess that's the market for that is just exploding right now. So that's sort of my niche. And I think the the process around that um, is is fairly specific and it's suitable for like short hourly sessions. Uh, so most of the people that are coming to me, they're booking between two to six hours to record over pre-made instrumentals, just vocals. 
and um it's uh i guess what the, the point i'm trying to get to is, is like it, the, the thing that helps me retain those people for years and years and years isn't necessarily the same things in recording them that if it, they were like a high level vocal talent with large budget like the process for recording that is a very different process than recording an emerging artist on a time constraint on a low budget um and that's that's kind of the yeah the niche i've found myself in i guess have you guys i mean what's it looking like in la like are you guys recording it seems like everywhere there's more and more people with just less musical experience coming into studios i i i do i can't speak this is interesting um first off i haven't been in the recording industry for like decades you know right 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 right. um i'm still finishing up my first decade which is so i think that there's other people that can speak on that more and more as far as like over the decades of over totally, the last totally. like travel generations i have noticed that ever since i moved to la um less people have and, and we're talking about musical experience not recording experience which is separate right right right, but right. there's a lot more people in la that are trying to be artists that yes. have never done music before than there right, was right. in Utah. Like in Utah, nobody's ever been in a recording studio before because it's a small town, but everybody that wanted to come in had a lot of musical experience and Gosh, beyond just singing, which is, which is a very interesting thing. Um, yeah, no, there's, we do get a lot of clients that get a beat and we're just trying to keep them in pitch and, like, yep. <laughs> and help yep. them find yep. melodies. Exactly. It's, it's been one of the most interesting things for me for recording like this. It, it's really like a, an emerging and ever growing segment of the recording market it, because it used to infuriate me when people would come in and they're like, I want to do six songs in this hour and uh, we're just one taking them. And um, it used to make me so mad or not mad, but it used to, I, I used to fight that, you know, I used to fight it. Um, but I've just come over the years, you know, to like, I just, now I just lean into it. Um, you know, there's everybody's at a different point, you know, some people are just trying to do high volume and, uh, yeah, the process for recording in that situation, it's very different in terms of how we're making decisions and, um, how we're moving between takes. It's entirely different than, you know, another artist who might book the whole day for just tracking their song. And so I found in recording, you know, it's, it's, it's served me from a business perspective I guess, to just meet the clients exactly where they're at um, in terms of what they're trying to get done. And I really try not to impose my own um, methodologies unless it's going to be helpful and they're receptive to it. But uh, I really try to meet the clients where they're at for their recording styles. Is, do you guys like, I guess, you know, I've never spent any time in commercial studios, never uh, worked with other engineers. Do you guys have like pretty like when you have a new client come in, like what is it, what does that typically look like for you guys? Well, it really depends when you say commercial, like out here in LA, um, commercial is more defined by a large format studio versus a production studio. Cause you can Not say perfect. that there's like three classes of studios in Los Angeles. There's commercial, uh, there's, uh, production. And then there's like writing studios, uh, okay. writing studios yeah. typically will just be like a one mic, a, maybe a booth kind of setup. Um, yep, yep. production studios will maybe feature a few keyboards, but still kind of like the one mic setup. They're not really set up for like a lot of like bands or anything. And then gotcha. commercial is more like, okay, you know, we could record full drums, horn sections, whatever you want to do. Gotcha. And in yeah, those yeah. three different stages, you actually get, um, labels that book just about any of them for, for a, a well-known writing session. 
where I've had sessions where, you know, you might walk in with seven different writers wow. uh, writing for one artist. And because of that, you've got seven different people's, you know, recording styles to manage. And you're the one engineer. Maybe they bring their own engineer and they hop in the seat, maybe. But wow. um, a good example of this is um, when I was recording Keisha Cole's album uh, back in 2021. Uh, we had Brandy, Nelly, um, Ray J, um, K Forest, um, Tristan, and a bunch of other people like pull in writing for Keisha's album, kind of coming up with concepts. But all of them work very differently from each other. So it was a matter of being adaptable to your clients. It's so similar to your situation where it's meeting their, your client where they're at. It's very much the same here, except that you don't know if it's going to be sometimes when you're working on a commercial level, you don't know if you're working with just that artist, but typically not. There's usually a posse of writers or producers that are involved gotcha. in the process. And you have to be able to match or, you know, excel past their expectations of their own process. If you can't okay. match it, a lot of times they'll next time you see them, they'll probably bring their own person. Yeah. In, in those situations when there's multiple writers, like, are they asking for your feedback at all? Or is it um, sometimes it depends on your relationship for sure. Yeah. Most of the time default. No default. Yeah. Absolutely not. Default. And, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like you can get kicked out. Uh, totally. never, yes. But once again, it goes back to the relationship. Yeah. If, you're, if you're the new guy in the room um, taking on a new client for sure. Yeah. Uh, they might ask you if they're cool, you know, like not saying, yeah, Oh, yeah. they're not cool if they don't ask you, but like, um, yeah, no. If they're cool people, typically speaking, they might try to interact with you and build a relationship with you too. And part of that may be like asking for your opinion and seeing how you respond to things. So this is interesting. Let's talk, let's separate the conversation like this. Cause I do think like having like a commercial label funded recording vocal production session is, is different. And the expectations are very different from like home studio, um, like grinding yeah. every single day, not even home studio, but like more personal relationships. Like for example, most of my clients are still not label sessions. They're yeah. mostly independent artists. So we'll, we'll talk about like independent artists versus label artists, which is a totally different thing when you have like the producer and the songwriter in the room right. versus like what I'm doing at, from what I understand you're doing and what I've always been doing. Um, and, and what most people in the industry freelancers are doing is, is with independent artists. Let's start with that expectation there. Um, where for you, Mike, what, what is kind of, how does it start? So they, they book a session on your website or through an app or like what's, yeah. how do you have it set up? It's, it's on the website and it's entirely uh, open. So anybody can book at any time. They don't need to know me. They don't need to contact me prior. Um, and it's uh, just first come first serve for, for open sessions basically. Um, and so I get. Uh, and how many you know, hours a week do you dedicate to being open? Um, about 30 hours a week of uh, sessions. Um, I, that's, that's about the max. Like, I mean, I could, that's about the max that I feel comfortable doing and giving everybody like a high level of service without, you know, too much ear fatigue and all that. Do you, what, I assume you do other work outside of those 30 hours, but those 30 hours are specifically for with client recordings. Yep. 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 What's, how much time do you spend in total working and what's your other hours spent on typically? Um, you know, it's, it's gone down a lot over the years. Uh, I, I'm probably, I'm, I come in probably between 40 and 50 hours a week now. Um, and on the other days I'm making content, I'm doing mixes for people. I'm doing revisions for people. Um, um, 
and just admin stuff. You know, I'm, it's, I'm a totally, it's just a one man operation over here. And, you know, I outsource a little bit, but a lot of the admin stuff, I'm, I'm still just handling on my end. Perfect. That's, that's actually really great insight. All right. So they, let's say they book a session with you. Um, you go get them from the parking lot, walk them up. What's, what's it look like for you? Oh man. Well, if, if I know them, you know, and most of the people I'm working with, I've been working with for, you know, a, a long time at this point. So typically most people that are coming in, I I've already, I've been working with them for a lot of times years. Um, and so we just get right into it. It's like, we don't, we're not like, um, we're not even like, we're, they're just, they're going straight in the booth. I'm, I'm loading the beats and we're recording. Like there's, there's, uh, I'm just doing sessions back to back to back. So it's, it's the timing is tight enough that, um, it's, it's straight to, it's straight to work. Basically, if I don't know them and it's their first session, um, it's basically the same. Um, and I just, <laughs> you know, I ask what, what we're getting into on the way up. And, uh, but I'm, I'm in a situation where most people know what I do and they're booking me for this very specific thing. You know, they want to come in and they're recording a number of songs in a short period of time. So this is great. We talk about this often on the podcast. One, um, what percentage of your clients is returning versus new? Like every um, week on average? Every week, I would say it's probably um, right now. Uh, you know, if I do 12 sessions a, a week on average, um, one or two of them might be brand new and the rest I've been working with for quite a while. So nice. it's interesting. So for us, we've talked about this with clients versus customers and whatnot. Um, but it's fair to say it's returning clients, not first time clients. It's returning clients that make you the most amount of money. Totally. Yeah. 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 And, and so, um, and on top of that, you become more efficient. You bet you're able to better serve them and whatnot. What are some exactly. ways that you try to, that you find that's really important in order for customers to return? Right. So th this is something that I've been thinking a, a fair amount about uh, because it is, it's like making the song sound as good as possible in what I think sounds good is not always the thing that is going to retain these folks as clients. Uh, mm -hmm. So typically like I'm, I'm thinking about three things usually like the person for them to return, you know, I ideally they're going to believe that I really like their music or at least respect them as artists. That's, that's a very important thing. They want, uh, they want someone to be on their team. Exactly. exactly. They don't necessarily, that's so interesting. This point, your point number one is not about whether or not you have the right plugins or the right equipment. Point number one is, am I able to get excited about their music and can they see yeah. that excitement? That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. I think and in, they also have to, uh, you know, in, in terms of client retention, they have to feel like they're getting, uh, they, they have to feel like they can afford to come back, you know? So wherever you lie in the, in the scale and efficiency in the market, they have to feel like you're a good choice. Um, cause you know, it doesn't matter how much they like you or how great the mix sounds. If they can't afford to come back to you the next week, um, and so that's, that's the thing that I don't expect everybody to, uh, you know, obviously charge as much as you can for your services, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a point here and I, uh, where they have to feel like, I, I feel like I like to make people feel like they're getting a good value for what they're paying. Um, and then the third thing obviously is they have to like how it sounds, you know, um, 
they don't like how it sounds, then none of the other stuff matters. Um, of course. And it's how, what they, and I'm, again, it's how they have to like how it sounds, not even me, you know, because I have a fine, especially in hip hop now. I ask people references and they give me the worst sounding music I have ever heard in my life. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. Um, but as long as, as long as they like the way it sounds and I'm always asking, even if I think it sounds good, I'm always asking for that feedback of how do you feel about this effect? How do you feel about that? And some people just trust me to do it. But even when I think it's good, I like to get their approval so that they can feel like they have agency and control in the situation. And, um, I'm shocked a lot of times, um, at the decisions people make, but, uh, I'm happy to, um, <laughs> I'm happy to oblige. <laughs> so I think that list, those three points are extremely important and I think they're very true. I'm sure that we both have experiences with this. Lou, I want to ask you, and I want to rewind and go back to the point that you made about return. We made about returning clients versus new clients. Mm -hmm. I wonder if people in the audience or people listening to the podcast uh, or subscribe to the YouTube channel um, uh, are um, have ever thought that the secret to going full time in music is increasing the volume of new customers. It's it's not. I want to be very very clear that how you go full time in music is by creating a large pool of returning clients. I'm not talking about like ten clients that come back every single week. They can come back once every year or two. But if they only come back once a year, you got to have a very, very large pool. And so it's when I had every single client was returning, but when they last came was varied. So maybe they yeah. came a week ago. Maybe they came a month ago. Maybe they came two years ago. Like every single client is a returning client, but I've mm -hmm. seen them before and won them over in whatever capacity. Um, so I think that's the secret to going full time. And, and, and like you said, number one is like believing in their product. I, artists and producers and people want, like this is a very, it's an art form. Like music is an art form. It's very subjective. And, you know, like I want to go to a creative director that believes in my vision. And I'm willing to pay more for a creative director that believes in my vision, right? Um, it's less about can you execute my idea, but can you see the same idea that I have? Yep, yep. And yep. then we could execute together. Because either way, I, I as the person coming to you would still want to be a major part of that project. Like I may not know what the heck you're doing, Mike, but like if I was an artist, I still want to feel like I'm a major part of that. And I can't, I can't feel that way if you don't believe in me. Right, and right. so that's number one. Then the, what was the number two point that you made? Is um, uh, it's just the budget thing. And that's specifically oh. for the, the, the clientele that I'm working with. Um, you know, like people don't have huge budgets and they have limited time frames, And so Let, let's expand on that. I think this yeah. is important when people, we've done a couple episodes about pricing. You can go back to those episodes and how yep. you should price your own products and whatnot. But this is super important. People always DM me and Lou. And I assume people ask you all the time, like, well, how do you price your services that are viable in the marketplace? Number one, the most important part is you have to compare to everybody else in your local area. If you are a yep, recording, yep, yep. recording producer, whatever, um, it is a locational based services. You're not an online book me on Fiverr. Um, you're competing against other people in the location. So if, if next door neighbor Lou is charging $20 an hour and he has twice as much gear as I do and a bigger space than I do and 10, to, 10 years more experience than I do, 
why the heck should I be charging $20 an hour? Obviously, those numbers are super low, but I mean, uh, you know yeah, what I'm saying? I was about to say, like, if I had all that gear, I don't think I could afford it at $20 no. an hour. Just an example. Just an example. So you got to actually, like, compare. So right. and, and number two, the number two point I want to make about this is, is sometimes you lose clients because they can't afford you. Like, this was a one-time thing. They wanted to do something special for themselves by paying a little bit extra for a nicer, nicer engineer. But you know that they can't afford you, or they they know that they can't afford you again the next time. Do you ever get hung up? Are you? Well, <laughs> is it so, worth ever get hung up on losing clients over that? I've you know I've I've kind of in the beginning it was a lot harder for me. But what I've done, and I've done this every single year now for five years, is on the first of the year I raised my rates ten dollars an hour, and you know I realized I started at like twenty or thirty dollars an hour. So every year on the first raise them $10 an hour. And a month before that, I let everybody know. And uh, in the b- first few years, I let everybody buy unlimited gift cards at the old rate that they can use anytime in the future. And then in, over the last three years, what I've done um, is if you have met a certain threshold of volume for bookings, I let you continue booking at last year's rate. So basically a large percentage That's of the people idea. I'm working with are grandfathered in and there's multiple levels of that going on. So uh, it makes, that's that's really been, um, that's really been good because it's, it's allowed me to retain a lot of people, but um, you know, everybody booking for the first time pays the new rate. And over time, you know, the percentage of people paying the, the newest rate, uh, you know, it expands in terms of the percentage of paying clients. Question for you. When you increase your prices every single year, are you already booked at full capacity like throughout yeah. the year? Or do you raise well, it regardless of do you raise it regardless of how often people booked you during the year? I mean, I'm ba- because I only put 30 hours a week in the calendar, I basically work those full 30 hours every single week year round. Um uh, you know, occasionally I'll have somebody cancel like the day before, or there'll be a slow spot at the end of the month where I'll have a session or two open. Um, but, uh, so when you raise your prices that you're partially, cause what I don't want anybody in the audience, anybody listening to do is raise their prices every year, even though they're already booking no clients. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the demand has stayed exactly even for me. And this is just specific to my situation. Uh, I've been able to do this and the, the demand either it stays even or goes up every time I do it um, weirdly. So if you don't mind me asking, have you ever walked back a price? Uh, for, for hourly recording? Uh, just in general, you saw an increase that was suitable. Let's say it'd be mixing, right? Something that's not solely based on your hourly, but did you ever find a situation where you had to walk back your price? Oh, in general, in terms of like the quotes that I'm uh, for mixing, maybe Um, not like immediately after a quote, but like you started noticing, like, hey, there's been a little more of a dip than I expected. Let me retract this increase. I I have done that in my mixing a little bit, um, remote mixing, but I'm in a in a situation here where because my the hourly recording, I'm not relying on the mixing, um, the remote mixing work, uh, you know, to keep the bills paid, and because of that. Um, there's, there's been times, yes, but to answer your question, yes, there has been times earlier in my career when I was doing very cheap mixes. Um, and I tried to raise my prices aggressively, uh, and it didn't, um, you know, the volume just really dropped off. Uh, but now 
um, I, because I don't, uh, yeah, because I don't rely on the, on the mixing work, I, I haven't really had to um, dial things back. So I want to recap because you dropped some heavy, heavy gems, some great ideas. Um, one, uh, gift cards at the end of the year and people can buy unlimited at the old price because usually at the end of the year, especially during the holidays, there's a decrease in bookings. People, so, so it's like slower season for the audio recording industry. Typically, maybe not for you, but typically, right? So it's a great idea to boost that income. Um, at the end of the year and hopefully carry that over, help you over during the slow speed. And and it's only $10 an hour, so you're not losing that much right, um, right, when, right. when you get into it. Second thing, I freaking love the ideas. If you hit a certain threshold of bookings, they get grandfathered into a price. That is a genius idea. And I'm I really not that- trying to punish anybody. You know, that's a, you know, I don't want to punish these people that have really put me on. Like I get to do this because they booked so much. Uh, and yeah. That's amazing. So and the question is, where is that threshold? Yeah. How have you discovered? What do you do it? Oh, man. Um, I basically just looked for a certain number of sessions in the past calendar year. And uh, there are actually, though, there's exceptions that I've made in both directions. Um, that It's just on personal discernment, I guess, man. It's not a... Uh, but uh, there there are people that, you know, if, if they like... I guess basically there's a, there's a certain volume in the last calendar year. And that's, that's what I did. Um, that's what I did last year, the year before that it was, um, this was the first year that I did it with any sort of systematic way. The years before that, it was just personally selective of the people that I had booked a lot and I liked working with. Okay. And, and how have you discovered, was it good? I mean, it worked well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, pe- people love it, man. Maybe people come back, you know? Um, and, and it, I always, and, and it's, it's, it's weird to talk about it, um, publicly because I always ask people don't talk about the, don't talk about the coupon codes. Um, but I know the, the I've audience, too. I've asked, I've given people love. heavy discounts and then say like, yeah. don't tell anybody I'm giving you discounts. Right. Right. So there's a, there's a number of people, um, who have these codes and I just ask them not to, not to share the code with other people. And if they do, you know, I'll, I'll know who <laughs> shared it, you know? Um, uh, so everybody's, everybody's happy. Um, I think, um, and it's, it, it makes the, I think it also helps make the artist feel like, you know, they're, we're in cahoots, you know, they're, we're, we're working together on this. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. So it's like the whole cycle of, Hey, I'm actually rooting for you. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. they're like, oh, they're rooting for me. I got to go with him more. So it kind of strengthens the relationship even more. That's a very strategic way of doing that. Um, last thing that I want to talk about, I want the another gem that you dropped that I want to emphasize again is you give everybody notice of prices going up at least a month before, which oh, yeah, is great, yeah, yeah. Um, which is great. Uh, if you do not inform people or announce that changes are going to be made, uh, I would call that emotional theft, like borderline theft. Like you don't want to be doing that. It's only going to hurt your brand and hurt the integrity of your brand. So um, anybody that's wanting to increase their prices, you have to give as much warning or as much, hey, this is going to change. I mean, all these other companies do it as well. PlayStation, when they charge for their network <laughs> or like <laughs> Amazon, when different prices increase and stuff like, yeah, it's true. Um, you should be doing that. Um, people are okay with things as long as they're notified. Hey, this project is going to take a week longer than I thought. 
Um, so please expect a mix a week later. As long yeah. as they know what part of the process that you're in and you notify them, people usually don't mind waiting or don't mind bad news. Uh, the last thing that I want to talk about, this is an economics term. Um, you talked about this where we're figuring out um, what's in economics is called elasticity. I've talked about elasticity in the past. Um, elasticity is basically how much more you can increase your the price and maintain the amount of customers. So it's more of like a ratio. For example, if you have a, a high elasticity business, for example, like Disney, mm -hmm. uh, let's say the tickets are $50 per ticket, they double their tickets. And so it's a hundred dollars and they went and they lost half their clients. They're still making more money because now there's less people in the park. So the lines are shorter, more happy customer service, less people that are need janitor service and less people watching the lines. So Disney is making more money, right? Because of that. But the thing is like we, there's, it's a, this ratio, this elasticity can be like, if there's a formula to discover what the elasticity is of a company like Nike or Disney, but it's hard to figure out what it is for us because we find out if we have very bad elasticity, very low elasticity, we increase our prices $5, we lose half of our clients. And we, that mm -hmm. obviously hurts us. Yeah. Um, but you have, you've, you've given so much value and have so many returning clients and, and genuinely so busy and offer so few amount of spots and limited amount of time that you have a very high level of elasticity. You can increase your prices every single year and your demand doesn't change. Granted, though, I, I have to you know add the caveat that I started at a very very low rate. Um, so that's the other you know I'm still cheaper than most other studios. Um, so question. Yeah. So so you started like twenty thirty dollars an hour. I assume you're closer to like fifty sixty right now. I'm a uh, seventy. You're a seventy. Okay, dope. Um, let me ask you when when you first started, would you recommend other people that are in similar positions to you five years ago? Would you recommend that they start at a low price? Or would you I recommend would, that they start at whatever? I would recommend starting at whatever the market gives you. So if you're if you come in at a certain price and people, you know, you 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 gotta you gotta price yourself at what's going to give you the volume to get the experience, to get to the referrals, to get more clients. Um, and if that means going low at first, go low and then raise them as fast as you can without uh, you know, um, without well, retaining as many people as you can, but I guess that that would be my answer. Is it, it depends on, it entirely depends on um, just what the local market is kind of uh, telling you. When when you were booking at twenty dollars an hour, twenty thirty dollars an hour, I assume you were lesser known. You were a brand new business. Um, was the price alone enough to get you fully booked, or were you still had hours that were not filled? It was a little bit different then because when I first started, you know, when I first started at like 20 an hour, I was in my bedroom recording after work. So I was doing like one session a night, basically. Um, and then when I moved into the space, I was made myself available 24 hours a day. So there were days that I didn't work. And then there were days that I worked 14 hours, just depending on, you know, like it just depend on the, uh, so it wasn't until, um, and I, I don't have good records, honestly, man, but I, I, I feel like the, the weekly volume since I went full time has stayed pretty even, if not gone down because I, I shrank my available hours. Um, you know, I started shrinking, I started reducing the number of hours that I was available um, as time went on. Gotcha. So let me ask you this because um, 
there's I noticed you mentioned that you use coupons. Uh, there's something that I've done in the past. I don't know if you've done this as well. I don't know if DK's done this as well. But um, one suggestion that I've told people in the past is a lot of times if you walk in and somebody introduces you as the intern, whoever they introduce you to now has a pretty long-term hold that you're an intern. Um, I feel like part of that is also your pricing, but I don't believe that your static price necessarily is what you walk in offering a new client all the time. I'm a big fan of discounting on the way in, uh, but making you very aware, like this is because you're a new client and I'd like an opportunity to show you what uh, I can do for you. Let me lower the cost on the first time service for you. Um, What I've done recently is I'll give individual artists a timed coupon code where Mm. it's specifically to their name. It's only for them. Uh, their coupon code is usually their name um, and it'll last maybe two weeks and say, Hey, like if you want to take up the offer, like I can hold this offer for you for like two weeks, you can go directly to my website. It'll give you X amount off. Um, This is only for you. And if relationships work out and they have a specific budget, I'll give them their associated budget worth on a code that they can use for a limited amount of time before the price has to go back to normal. Um, yeah, that's a, I don't know if you've yeah. ever done anything like that. I noticed like you you mentioned you have coupons for select. I don't know how you handle, you know, making sure whoever's paying what price can do that by booking you easily online. I don't know if uh, you track that through like services online or do you manually track that yourself? Like who's who's booking at what rate? Exactly. Like, do you um, do you use like any portals for that or? No, not really. I mean, I, 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 all the booking I do is through Acuity. And so it's all just built into there. Um, I re- honestly, it, it'd be good to look at that information though. Um, I haven't really, <laughs> I, I haven't really, uh, taken, I'll be honest. Taken... I, I do it in Acuity. I actually, Acuity is great. Yeah. Acuity scheduling is what we use for the studio as well. Yeah. You can yeah, create yeah. like unlimited coupon codes. So I do that for yep, like yep. clients who have also grandfathered in. Like I have one client who, whenever she books with me, um, I actually don't pay myself. Uh, I pay the studio for the time and I don't pay myself the eight hours that I work with her just cause I've been working with her so long that she's just an artist that I enjoy viewing how she's been growing, you know, but yeah, yeah. Uh, she's the only one that has that. So, uh, yep, I actually I've, created like a backdoor code for it. I've um, got a similar situation with the, uh, a couple guys actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to move on, but I do want to say something that you just said. Um, we're going to come back around to it. Sure. You said that you pay the studio, but you don't pay yourself. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that a little bit later and, and how that works for us, because that's a very us-specific thing. It might be more commercial as well. We're going to move on sure. um, and come back to that idea and why that was said. Um, Mike, let's go into the next phase. So let's say the recording goes well. Um, you send them the file. Everything's paid. Um, or what? Is there anything specific that you like to do or offer during the session? Um, you know, that's something I've been thinking about of adding, you know, adding some more amenities to the, to the, to the studio. But, um, I don't, uh, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's really just strictly business. We're just recording and mixing as a lot of times as fast as we can, uh, for better or for worse. Um, would you say that you're pretty quick? Uh, in the thing that I, in the, in the realm of work that I'm doing of like rap and over two tracks. Yeah. But you know, you you know, a a full, a full mix is going to take me a while to do on, on a full stem thing. So when you're doing, preparing a rough mix for a client, are you mixing while you're recording or do you, do you take like five to 10 minutes or however long afterwards 
during the scheduled time to kind of do as much as you can? No, I'm basically, um, you know, I let people know that the the quality of the mix that you go home with, it's like I, you're, I, you're going to get a mix and master for every song you record today. And the quality of that mix and master is going to be determined by the amount of time you leave me with it. Um, so if if they're just recording as fast as they can, you know, it basically just, uh, you know, I have a vocal chain usually set up from another time they've recorded. I'm just doing a quick check to make sure it's hitting the compressors at the right level. Um, if they have been working with them for long enough, I kind of know the style of effects they like, and it's already set up in their template. And then I'm just watching, um, watching the meters on the master and, and making sure the dynamics on the instrumental are good going into, uh, the mix bus and the limiters. And then I print it. Um, and it's if, and I'll do that in however much time they give me basically, you know, whether it's five minutes or, uh, you know, hours. Quick question. Um, this is more personal. Have having done this full time for a while now and you've got it sounds like you've got like a system going where it's pretty like everything's kind of figured out. Now it's just kind of working through it. Do you ever get bored of it or get complacent with it or or like how does this fit with your personality? I, I like it, man. I mean, I'm not really a people person. Um, so honestly, I would like to just spend less time face to face with artists and not because I don't like artists, but just because, you know, it's intense personalities and, uh, you know, wears me out. But, um, uh, no, I love it, man. Never a dull moment. And the thing that I've come to really like, you know, I think the things that used to really frustrate me, um, I have, you know, like people that are trying to record a lot of songs in one hour or the opposite, you know, people that are so meticulous and they just, you know, they, they're, they're, they're listening for something that I can't even hear and just doing it over and over and over again. And everyone in between every single one of those situations is an opportunity for me to meet their needs, whatever crazy needs they might have. And so that's, that's where I find, you know, I still get a lot of, um, personal gratification even um, with the people that might I, I might used to have thought is more mundane or boring or um, you know hard to work with, uh, if that makes sense. Would you, would you consider or think that your career path was pretty typical of others, or do you think that there were a few aspects that were very atypical? You know, it's it's hard to say because uh, I, I think the what I the, my career path is. I think it's becoming much more typical. Uh, you know, basically like hip hop producer gets to know rappers through making beats, realizes they can make more money from recording and mixing, start recording and mixing. Uh, I feel like that's becoming more and more typical um, just based on the, the current climate. Uh, but, and it seems like now when I look around Seattle, there are, just doesn't there's more and more like little studios like mine that are just doing vocals over two tracks it seems like every week there's a new studio opening so it's really i think becoming more and more common that this that style but it hasn't always been like that um this is a question from the live stream chat right now from straight tripping um what helped your transition from bedroom to your own space what was that like i assume you already had some clients who were making some money did you quit your job i mean you went it sounds like you did because you went full 24 hours. So I was, um, I was formerly a civil engineer. And so I was working in a cubicle 
doing oh, that. You were making so like, decent money. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't getting rich, but you know, all my bills were paid. Uh, well, well, rich to who? Like a twenty-year-old? <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, it's, and then I have a four-year degree to do this work. Uh, uh, anyways, though, um, the tr- the transition was like I, you know, it was a it was a, a small small team in the office. So I let my boss know that I would like to leave. I will continue working on this project that I was currently working on. And once that project is wrapped up, I'm going to leave. The project dragged out for almost an entire year. So I had that entire year to basically be recording people in my room at night. Um, and during that time, I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'll go into live audio. Maybe I'll go into, you know, like there was, I was like, I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like during that time. Um, I thought maybe I'd go into live sound or uh, video game audio, or um, I didn't even know, you know, um, but I just kept recording and mixing people. Um and then the year came up, the project uh, almost finished. And I was like, I'm, I'm done. It's been a year. I rented this unit and I moved out of my house and I moved into this unit. So um, I worked and lived in here and just grinded it out for about two years until I was making enough money to comfortably like afford rent and, um, and the studio space. And that's, so, that's sort of, sort of the, the trajectory. I could have moved out way sooner, but um, just ultra conservative, you know, from, from the uh, financial side. I, I can cut this out if this is private information, but just to kind of put a little perspective, um, how much was your salary at your civil engineering job? Um, I think I was making around, like when I first started, it was probably around 50. And when I left, it was probably 60 and change. Okay, so and how old were you at the time? Fresh out of college? Yeah. Okay, so you're like early twenties, making fifty to sixty yeah. grand a year. That's that's a decent chunk of ch- money for In like a Seattle. young. And which is the reason why I bring this up is because you went and jumped, shipped, and went full time or tried to go full time into audio. Your first year, do you remember how much you made your first year doing audio oh, only? Like, like probably like 20 grand or something like that. So you like cut all less, more than half of your income was cut. (laughs) That like, I cannot imagine how terrifying that is. Cause my experience, I I think yours is similar. I've always been poor. (laughs) you know. So there was no jump down to lesser income. I've just never had any income. (laughs) Uh, But for you, I know a lot of people that that was the barrier. It's just so fucking scary to pursue passion like because you got what we say like the golden handcuffs what was it for you were you just so sick and tired of the job and or what was was it incredibly depressed uh just really miserable um and so it was almost it was and i it's so weird to say this man but in terms of transitioning it was a fear and really just negative emotions that drove me to (laughs) uh it wasn't like my passion for mixing SoundCloud rappers that drove me to open the studio. Uh, it was uh, just a fear and deep, deep, just dislike for um, putting on the collared shirt every day and going to that office. And, mm. and the work was good. The work was good, man. Just didn't suit me, man. I went to school for five years and worked in the industry for four years. And uh, because, I, you know, um, that, was, that was that was the path I was on, but uh, did not did not suit me. I wonder, I think there's a beauty to all of this. Uh, Lou, I'm wondering if you can speak of this too, but did you have to jump or were you 
were you in the same situation that I was? Like you built your career I, from the beginning. I did a two third financial cut, similar to Sunday. Okay, so you had a non music job. I worked until I no longer found it emotionally feasible. But anymore. it was still was this? Are you talking about like? Ash? I I no. Uh, the last job I had before like going full time into audio was recording connection i had just written like the curriculum and got so it's still like, like audio base but it yeah wasn't. but it was like you know i was a liaison for the company uh getting studios mm. to partner with the with the company so that's a you different know. story on its own but but you also had a jump yeah like at the time i was making maybe maybe just like sendai uh i was recording people after work and maybe getting paid on some of them sometimes but um I had to give up two thirds of my income in order to go full time. Two thirds of your incomes. That sounds yeah. very similar. Um, yeah. That's crazy. I wonder if this has any sort of one of the benefits. I we may have talked about this on a previous episode of why you uh, and we did an entire episode dedicated to why you may want to keep your day job while starting your audio career. And one of the arguments that I made was this the, the gratitude. For example, <laughs> for you, it was the depression. It's like, I'm going to kill myself anyway, so might as well doing it while doing it what I love. You know, it's like it wasn't that jump may not have been that scary because <laughs> you just depression made you do it. Uh, but <laughs> so I don't mean to tease you on that, but, uh, no, no, it's, it's, it's but real though. <laughs> there's there's and with that, I think that you have a very deep you both have a very deep sense of gratitude. Because even now, five, six years later, I assume there's a part of you that's fucking grateful that you don't have to be a civil, civil engineer yet anymore. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and it's, Go ahead. Yeah, speak on that. Just going, going back, you know, asking me if it ever gets boring, you know, just to circle back to that again. It's like even the worst, and I mean that with love, the worst clients, you know, the, the most difficult people, I would still rather make music with them then sit in the cubicle with the spreadsheets. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, everything's in, it's all, it's all in perspective, you know? So that, that's the, that's the great, the great perspectiveizer for me. And if I didn't, if I didn't come from civil engineering, I, I don't think I would have, um, I don't think I would have uh, uh, been able to do this, you know, if I hadn't come from something that I dislike so strongly. Let me ask you, would you say that that is the catalyst for your continuance in this? Or have you found something else along the way that's actually helped fuel your want to continue down the line? Because some people, oh, oh, yeah. uh, you know, they they do this, they find their niche or they find their flow, but then it goes back to, ah, it's just work. They at find this something point, more. You know? At first right. it was, I hate this, but now is it more? Yeah. yeah. It's no, it's, it's, it's honestly like, I mean, it, it, I've, I've grown, it's like I've, I've, it's becoming more enjoyable if anything, like even the, like even the difficult people, like I, as I get better at working with them, you know, there's everybody, I, you know, everybody, when they're coming to the studio, you get to see them at their best. Like uh, usually, you know, that you there, this is like a luxury service for them. You know, they're in a good mood. They're coming to make their music and they're happy. And if I can help them do that, like it's a big, for, for a lot of people, it's a, it's, a, it's like, this is like, um, you know, they, they feel really good about coming to the studio and it's, it, it pumps them up. And so like, if, it, you know, I, I just get to feed off that energy, you know, I don't have to worry about marketing the music. I don't have to worry about the vulnerability of putting my art into the world. I just get to help people 
finish their songs. It's like the best, uh, you know, and so I, I just get to feed off that man. And that's, that's really what, uh, what keeps me, keeps it, keeps it interesting and fresh for me because, um, that, that never gets old for me is just, you know, just, it's fun to finish music, man. It's fun. It's fun to hear it back. And I wonder, and there's no statistic with this, right? And there's no real way to tell, but I assume it is this deep rooted foundational sense of gratitude that you get to do what you do. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. that really reflects how you are perceived by your clientele. Again, going back to your number one point of why people want to come back, which is, do I feel like my engineer believes in my art? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you coming into work every single day, really grateful that you're there in their life during, you're right, a sacred part of their day, you know? And that's so, it's like this cycle is, this is a great, great attitude. Let me ask you, um, and and this is my thing recently. This is in my journey of life. I'm at a point right now where I feel like I'm, I know gratitude is the answer. I know it is, right? But I have a hard time finding, like actually feeling grateful. Like mm-hmm. um, in a non-active way. Like I can force myself to be grateful. Yeah, yeah. But how can I passively feel subconsciously like actual gratitude? It, it, some practices, some practical practices, <laughs> practical <laughs> and, and interesting. Do you? I'm not gonna lie, but that's. I don't think we've ever talked about it, but that's actually exactly how I think as well. Um, in the sense that, like you said, it, you it's hard to be passively grateful, even knowing that you have a situation in front of you that you most people would die for. You know, most people have a job right now that they hate that wish they could be doing what we're doing. Um, part of it is semi going back to what we said earlier about my one client that I don't pay myself for it. That's why I asked about the catalyst. Part of it is trying to find something more than just what the job is or what it is that we yeah. seek to be, but rather who we can serve in the process. If I could see growth from those that believe in me the way that, and I can find a way to believe in them as much or show a, a sense of gratitude towards them by doing something that can help them, then that's honestly more than payment enough for me. Because at the very least, I don't feel like I'm taking this opportunity for granted or being ungrateful, but rather oh. now using my resources to, like, you know, I give free office hours and I tell everybody, like, ask me any questions. I'm happy to teach for free. I have paid lessons for, like, dedicated time, but the more I can help somebody, the less shitty I feel about not being passively grateful anymore, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, yeah, that's it's great. It's my man. way of that's... actively taking on that. Mike, I'm sure that you've had a couple sessions that you're just not not in the right zone. Oh, yeah. Not in the right headspace. <laughs> and And these are scary because if you do that one time, you may lose the client, which is not even yeah. your worst fear. Probably the worst fear should be you lose the client and they don't like you so much that they put negative reviews everywhere. They talk shit about you and you lose more and more potential clients, right? Yeah, yeah. Beyond just one person. Um, which is scary. And, and if possible, you never want to be in a bad headspace when you start working. You always want to do that. But are there any sort of like rituals or traditions or, or things that help you get into the right headspace? Or how, how do you kind of maintain that every day? Um, certainly not smoking weed in the mornings definitely helps. I mean, I'm a, like, I'm a, I'm a, uh, 
a guy that smoked a decent amount of pot over my adult life. And that's something that I figured out in the first few years is like, if I want to run the business and show up at a high level is I have to be pretty fucking sober and pretty, um, like pretty sharp. Uh, and obviously that's probably not a problem for a lot of people. Um, but that's something that's, uh, um, definitely, Definitely been good for me. The, th- the things that I keep in mind, like little things, is just making sure that while I'm sitting there, if the client's in the booth, out of the booth, with me in the room, is that I try to keep um, physically moving with the music. And that's a huge uh, indicator, you know, for the client is, can, that, that's a, you know, if they just see you just like sitting there, like, uh, like, you know, like not moving at all, just clicking, it's a very different vibe. So even when I'm in like a, if I'm distracted or, or whatever, I try to keep moving with the music because, um, the clients just intrinsically interpret that as being into it and being engaged. And, uh, I've had people even say, Oh, like they think that I like this part of the song more than this part of something because I move, you know, like they're, they're watching, you know, they're watching for your reaction to their music. And so that's, that's like one little thing that I try to do. And it just helps me keep, you know, embodied in in the work in, rather than like getting lost in my own you know that, own that's about that's a really great way to do that yeah no that's totally true like with clients they totally see you do that and again like it's so fun even the hardest of hard clients they're still fucking insecure they want yeah. that validation <laughs> I, that's like a human thing right oh yeah totally. um and if they don't seek it at all they're crazy <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, uh, no, I think that's a really great practical thing to take away if you're listening right now. Um, real quick, before before we kind of uh, go on to the next part of the show and kind of wrap this up, um, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, the Mixing Music Podcast. Oh, shit. <laughs> if you're interested in hearing three times the amount of episodes, so instead of one more episode, every, instead of one episode a week, every single week, you want three episodes every single week, all you have to do is go to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. Um, and that will get you two extra. You sign up for the exclusive episodes. You get two extra episodes a week. And they're all specifically technical tips. So we take clips from other engineers, other producers, and talk about when their tips that they've shared. And we expand on that. It's been really, really helpful. We have a bunch of subscribers already. Um, anybody that is subscribed to the, whenever we do div- give giveaways, we have like special discounts and special things for anybody that is involved in that community. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive if you're interested in that. It's $4 a month or $40 a year. It's less than a cup of coffee every day, every month, once a month. So, um, yeah. So, thank you for anybody that has already subscribed. Uh, but we want to move back into this real quick. Um, Mike, this has actually been in- extremely insightful of not just how you've grow in your career, but as well as how others can take away from your career and grow that themselves. Is there any major mistake that you've made during your career that you'd hope others would avoid? Um, oh, major mistakes. I mean, there's plenty, uh, there's plenty of small mistakes. I'm trying to think of any, uh, what or the, the biggest the big mistake. Maybe it's, um, not, maybe it's yeah, not major, yeah, yeah, but the biggest know. mistake um, that you're willing to share. I think, uh, you know, like fighting the, uh, this is kind of a general, but like, you know, I think trying to fight 
what's going on, you know, is in the, and I know that that sounds really vague, but in a session, you know, trying to, trying to fight the flow that's, that's happening. Um, that is going to be the thing that exhausts you and burns you out. You know, if you have people that are difficult to work with and you're trying to corral them and, or in, in one way or the other, if you don't do that in a way that's, that's serving them and you're doing it for the convenience of your own work, it's going to burn you out. And that's something that I definitely experienced in, in working with people. I don't know if that's clear, but uh, you got to work in a way that's going to serve both you and the artist, you know, in, in a way that doesn't burn you out. And if you, I think that happens to a lot of engineers is they, they're fighting the flow of the session to serve their needs. And it's a, a, a quick path to burning out. Uh, lastly, the last question I want to ask before we end the episode is, is, do you foresee yourself continuing to record for 30 hours every week or do you foresee yourself in the future, sometime oh. in the future, transitioning over to mixing completely or or doing something else or doing more hours, whatever it is? How, how do you see yourself transitioning and expanding, scaling over over the years? I mean, I've been talking about this for years, man, but it's, it's, I really got to get uh, somebody else working in here because I, I, I don't want to work any more than I already am in terms of face-to-face hours with clients. Um, I'd like to work a lot less face-to-face hours with clients so that I can be better for the fewer people, basically, um, and have other people working in here um, and uh, giving them a similar system. You know, that's, that's ultimately my goal is to give... I have this system that works a specific way for a specific type of client. And I want to be able to give that system to others to work here and to just ultimately have the business serve way more people and without me personally having to be face-to-face with so many people. So you see, you foresee yourself not necessarily moving into a different form of the art like mixing or mastering, but you see yourself scaling by training others and having it become a lot more passive. So you can then have the time and able to... Yeah, I still want to mix. I, I like, I enjoy mixing. I enjoy mastering. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't want to do either of those like all day. I don't want to do anything all day, every day, you know? Uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I see it, see things going. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I think this was actually a really, really great episode, a super insightful episode for anybody listening. It was for me and it's kind of triggered my brain and how we can incorporate some of the things that you were talking about for our studio. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you so much, Mike. Where can people find you? Oh, send I Mike dot mixing on Instagram, send I Mike on TikTok, send I Mike, uh, you know, on the internet. Um, yeah, shoot, me a, shoot me a shoot Um, S E N D A I Mike. And they call you Senpai Mike. Yeah, you know, you're not the first. I get that every now and then. Yep, yep. Senpai Mike. I'm, I'm at least happy that it puts a smile on your face. <laughs> it hasn't gotten to the point where he's like, ugh. <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, please hit up Sendai Mike if you're interested in pursuing a recording career and would love some advice. Once again, that's at SendaiMike.mixing on Instagram. Sendai Mike. Just type in Sendai Mike. You'll find him. Uh, really, really great dude. He's more than happy to answer your questions. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, any, any, anything else that you want to say? Any last advice for anybody that's listening? Not, not particularly, man. Uh, <laughs> what about a favorite joke? <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah. Then on that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. 
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. There are so many amazing free plugins available for download right now to help you with your production and mixing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash plugins to download and get access to a bunch of free and premium plugins on Plugin Boutique. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show.